You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Pressure coming from Minnesota. Lock left side. Bobo. Touchdown, Seahawks. Drew Lock connecting with the rookie out of UCLA. The American qualifier takes out the last of the remaining Canadians in Montreal. It is Mackenzie McDonald who eliminates Milos Raonic from his run in Toronto and will move into the quarterfinals. Welcome to Halford and Bruff Friday edition. Jamie Dodd, Randy Janda here, still filling in for the guys. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. At Kintech.net, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And uh, Randeep, your, your arduous four-day work week is over. And you've earned a vacation, really. You had like two months off, came back, worked for four days. On and off, yes. Now you're going on vacation again. You know what? These four days, I've had the time of my life. Oh, wow, okay. I thought you were going to say they were Some like... Some of the best moments I've They felt like 40 days. Life. That's where I thought you were going with We that. had a good run on Reach Deep, but... These four days rival that run. This is what you really want to be known for. And it's been hard work. I'm not going to lie. I really, really deserve that upcoming vacation. Thank you, I Jamie. mean, working with me and A-Dog? It's tough. It's I tough need Randeep's agent. I need to get that in my contract. Work for four days and go on vacation again. I've worked more, guys. That's Come a sweet on. deal. Yeah, you've worked like a day here or there. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I had that one week a couple we, months we ago. We did like a one-off show at the Nat together. Yeah, that was nice. That was probably like in between like, you know, in the middle of like three weeks off for you or something like that. Yeah, it was just a day at the game for me, really. <laughs> just a day at the game. Spoke a few words. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, so it is uh, Ask Us Anything Friday. Always exciting here on the show. So hit us up, 650-650. If you have an Ask Us Anything question, we will uh, get to them throughout the course of the show. Of course, we will do what we learned still. We're back to our normal schedule. So what we learned is coming up at 8.30. Uh, so lots of time to get your what we learned submissions in. And uh, again, ask us anything Friday. So make sure you get lots of those. And we already have an exciting one in uh, from Alistair, the graveyard bakery worker. So we'll get to that at some point here. Uh, also coming up on the show, covers he covers the athletic or covers the NHL for the athletic. I was going to say a quick question on yeah. Alistair. Does that mean he's a bakery worker on the graveyard shift or is there a bakery, <laughs> bakery in, in a graveyard? That's what I was thinking too. I'm like, so he works at a graveyard but it's a bakery at the graveyard. You guys never hit it's up a the, very specific You guys never hit thing. up the graveyard for your bread? You've never <laughs> I've never had a Danish yeah. or, or a pastry at the graveyard. No. Just, yeah. I'm just going to swing by the graveyard got great, my, pick up breakfast. Great prices. I'm the, pretty sure it means he's on the No, cuz Alistair texted in last Friday with an ask us anything and it came in at like 3:45 a.m. in the inbox and mm-hmm. Izzy and I 
were commenting that that was an interesting time to text in, and he uh, he responded and said, "Guys, I'm, I work the graveyard shift. So I'm just up texting. Ask us anything." And so. here I, here I'm thinking there's a dude eating a strudel at a graveyard somewhere right now as we speak, but apparently not. <laughs> a missed business opportunity, really. <laughs> graveyard Central Bakeries. Maybe there's something there. Uh, Sean McIndoe of the Athletic is going to join us at 6:30. Had an interesting piece about some hard truths that. NHL fans need to hear. Not Canucks fans, of course, but other NHL no, fans. We're perfect. Yeah, no, no, no. We we are perfect here in Vancouver. Uh, but we'll talk to Sean about that. At 7.30, Peter Galindo, uh, a little uh, European footy preview. Some interesting transfer news happening right now as well. So we'll look ahead uh, to the European soccer season. At 8 o'clock, Nick Shook getting us caught up on everything happening around the NFL. And then, as mentioned, at 8.30, it is what we learned. Before we do any of that, let's talk about what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? What happened brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. Uh, start of the National Bank Open, as you heard on the intro coming in. No more Canadians alive at the tournament. Milos Raonic and Leila Annie Fernandez both lose in the round of 16. And... If you focus in on those two individuals, there are positives. I mean, look, Milos, that's a great story. The fact that he's able to come back, play in Canada, play so close to his home, win two matches. We always knew that there was a good likelihood that, you know, playing matches on consecutive days was going to take too much of a toll on his fitness, on his body at this point, and it was going to be hard for him to survive. So Milos is a great story. Layla, you can look at the tournament as, oh, hey, she won a couple matches, wasn't necessarily expected to do that coming in. Maybe this is a step forward. But on a whole, I think you have to look at it as a disappointing week for Canadian tennis, right? Like, you want to see someone go on a real run. Not just the round of 16, at least the quarters, the semis, maybe even the finals, right? And to have nobody who's going to be advancing to play on the weekend in the really high-stakes matches against you know some of the more high-profile competitors at this tournament, I think that's frustrating uh, at, at this event. It is, in a way, especially um, the player that you were probably looking towards, Felix. Yeah. Uh, he was done he was in out the first in round. round. One. So yeah. once that happened, and as optimistic you want to be as about you know, Milo Sronich, it was, mm-hmm. it was always a question of, is this body going to hold up? Mm-hmm. Is he going to be able to play at that same level, you know, day after day? And if you look at his serve, he had a, a 71% first serve percentage, which was much lower uh, than his opposition, much lower than previous matches. Yep. He had nine aces. Remember, in the first match, he had 37. 30, yeah. <laughs> so when we talk about fatigue, when we talk about maintaining that level, obviously it catches up to you at mm-hmm. some point, especially if you haven't played in a very long time. So from his perspective, I think it's just, a, a great story, as yeah, you mentioned. it is. Beating Tiafo was a big deal. And with Layla, let's remember, she also beat the 11th-ranked player in the yep. world as well. Where her confidence was, it was not a great situation coming into this tur- tournament. So if I'm talking about you know the disappointment, I have to go back to Felix Auger-Aliassime. I think yeah. that's the guy you hope that can make some real inroads in this tournament. From the players that we mentioned here, though, the ones that lost yesterday, it's a good step because... As much as we have pride in the National Bank Open, it is a tune-up for the U.S. Open. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you're looking at confidence heading into that tournament, 
it's going to give Layla a little bit more. You hope so, although she didn't she didn't go out in a particularly competitive match no. last night. That's the tough part about it, right? Because if she had lost a really close one against, you know, a high-ranked opponent, it's three sets and she was right in it, then you can look at the week as a whole, I think quite easily and say, "Okay, that's a confidence booster." She wasn't in that match no. last night, right? And that that's tough where you feel like not even that you get to the US Open and you don't build on what you did here, but even at this tournament you don't build on what you did in the first two wins. And we've applauded um, Leila Annie Fernandez's resiliency in this yep. tournament. And let's remember, she's 20 years old. She's learning as she goes here, but she couldn't cope with the conditions. She admitted it after the match yesterday. There was a dip in temperature. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a late match, mm-hmm. something according to her post-match availability. She goes to sleep really early, which as now is a morning show host for <laughs> this week. She's on that morning show sketch. I can relate. I can understand how life can be difficult, and you're not maybe at your freshest come 9 p.m., Listen, you 10 gotta, p.m. you got to switch your schedule up. It's tough. It's but, tough. You know, we sometimes focus on these players, especially the young ones, and, like, a comment like that shows us how much, how young she is. Yeah. Like, she hasn't played that many late matches, so even getting used to the, the time, it's a learning experience for her. So, yes, she wasn't competitive, but... You know, I think her resiliency was tested yesterday, and she's going to learn from it. She called it a learning learning experience, and if you're playing, you know, a late match at the U.S. Open, those things go to like one, two a.m. Mm-hmm. sometimes, depending mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, how if there's a delay Weather, or, or anything or, like, or how long the other matches are. Exactly. In the day. Yeah. So you, you better get ready for that. So if anything, I think you know I'm a little bit more optimistic on that. I think going back to round one for Felix is where you yeah. look back and say, okay, that's the one that hurt the tournament. And I would say also. Bianca's performance in round one where she had she had moments where she could have taken control of that match and she wasn't able to do it. So sure. th- those two are frustrating. But uh, Layla and Milos both losing in the round of 16 last night. Now, the other interesting note is uh, Carlos Alcaraz on the men's side. Comeback win to advance. And look, if you're if you're not going to have one of the Canadian stars going on a deep run, you want the biggest stars in the tournament to be there to kind of keep – Keep the profile of the tournament high and keep interest high in it going into the weekend. Yeah, the National Bank Open needed that win. No disrespect to Hubert Hercatch. It just isn't the same draw. Daniil Medvedev, uh, not really the same draw. Yeah, so Al- he- Alcaraz is the biggest draw of the tournament. For, for sure. sure, and he did not play well. I think, admittedly, he called it a roller coaster after. In a, it was just up, down. He was trying to go for the kill shot every single time, missing a lot on a lot of those shots. But is if he's in the tournament, the entertainment value is there. You've got the main draw. So luckily for the organizers and luckily for fans who want to see the highest level tennis possible, Alcaraz is still in the tournament. Uh, on the diamond, a uh, bit of a lighter day around Major League Baseball. No Mariners, but the Jays, they lose 4-3 to Cleveland. Another close one. A little bit of frustration, I think, mounting with the Jays. More problems with runners in scoring position, bases loaded scenarios where they can't cash in. George Springer and John Schneider both ejected, and I do wonder if some of that is the frustration about clutch hitting, right, boiling over for the Jays and and both of those players kind of reacting like that. And I I was thinking about it, you know, because Jays fans have been – pulling their hair out for months basically at this point about you know hey bases loaded zero outs and oh the team somehow found a way not to score a run and that seems to happen over and over again and obviously just in general not just bases loaded but with runners in scoring position they've been so incredibly frustrating given the talent on that team I was thinking about this what is the most as a fan watching a team what's the most frustrating flaw that a team can have because it is truly infuriating 
watching a team that has lots of good hitters, right? And when the bases are empty, it's like, hey, there's a double, there's a home run, there's a hit. And then as soon as the guys get on, it just completely dries up and it goes away. But as frustrating as it is, I actually don't think in baseball it's the worst a flaw team can have. I think in baseball the most annoying flaw team can have is an otherwise really good team with a lousy bullpen. Because then you can be up, hey, it's five, it's five two going into the six, and you think you're gonna lose, right? And as soon as the starter comes out, you're like, Oh man, it's this guy. Yeah. It's this guy. And maybe you have like the one reliever, but he's pitched two days in a row, and you're like, Oh man, we can't use him today. This is gonna be touch and go. How are we gonna get through this game? Like that that is that's excruciatingly painful as a baseball fan to have the bad bullpen. Yeah, that's tricky because your starter could do like Seven innings, eight innings strong, and that one inning that you have to rely on, maybe your setup guy. Yeah, maybe maybe your closer is, yeah, is not who's great. Not good. Yeah, yeah so it's, it, you're you're kind of screwed that way. I go back to the other one though, when you can't hit. Like remember the uh, the Jacob Degrom experiment in New York, where mm-hmm. he would like literally have Cy Young seasons, and his offense would not give him anything. It would be like one nothing, two one, and the Mets would not give him any runs. I think that's more excruciating. Whereas, like, you literally have a yeah, Cy that's a Young good point. winner. That's a good point. The ru- lack of run support. And, and especially because it was so specific to DeGrom, too, right? Like, they would score in other games. It's just that one. <laughs> but it was DeGrom. It's like they felt the yeah. pressure of him being on the mound themselves. Like, no, it's supposed to be for the opposition. That's a good one. He's not supposed to intimidate his own teammates. Yeah. Uh, this text came in, and I knew it would. Uh, we're talking about the most frustrating flaws your favorite team can have. Watching my favorite team not being able to kill a penalty. Yeah. Canucks fans, that 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 jumped to mind for me too when I was thinking about this. Just as soon as the the guy goes to the box, and you're thinking, okay, put one up on the board. Now I I do wonder though, because the other one that stood out to me was an inability to move the puck, right? And this is something See Canucks fans have experience with too. Yeah. But go back even not like pre Quinn Hughes, the last couple of seasons before Quinn Hughes, Derek Pouliot, the Derek Pouliot, Eric Goodbranson, Michael Delzato era, and it was an era. It felt like an era. <laughs> Was that more annoying or league's worst penalty kill more annoying? They're both really annoying. Ooh. They're both really annoying. I might lean to the inability to kill, uh, to move the puck because the penalty kill at least, hey, maybe you have a game where you only take one penalty, right? Or you take two penalties and it's not that big a deal. It doesn't burn you. You can't move the puck. That's every shift. Yeah. You know what I mean? That you are frustrated and you are like watching these guys off the glass and out or ice the puck or, you know, get intercepted on the outlet. Or pass. deer in headlights. Yeah, or deer in headlights. Yeah. And it's driving you nuts. I actually think that is a worse flaw to watch as a fan than a bad PK. During both experiences, you could run, like you could literally run the Benny Hill music. Like that, that's how bad it was, right? <laughs> yes, like it was absolutely it was not good. But I think moving the puck up the ice because Listen, the Canucks are not perfect five on five now either. We know no. that. But let's go back to that era where but at least you got twenty minutes of Quinn Hughes, and you know it's taken sure. care of. You know what I mean? Sure. And you've got um, you know a player like Elias Patterson who can drop deep, pick up the puck, and help out with zone exits too. Like, yep. you didn't have any of that back then. You yep. didn't have any of that. You had a hope and a prayer, really, and it was not working out that well. So I would lean on that side too. But here's a hypothetical: it hasn't really happened with the Canucks. Maybe a couple of seasons ago, but. Having the weapons on the power play, but having a mediocre power play. Mm. And the Canucks, remember, a couple of seasons ago, and people are going to start texting in Jason King's name and Newell Brown's name, and especially the Newell Brown era before before he ended up leaving. Yeah. Remember, there was, there was stagnancy. There yep. was, how do you have Quinn Hughes? How do you have Elias Pettersson? How do you have Bo Horvat? All of these guys, JT Miller, and have a 
at that point, an average power play. But I mean, you also go back to the first JT Miller season, I think, and they were excellent on the power play, if I yes. recall, the lotto line season. So the power play, I think, sometimes we we get too focused on, you know, the month where it struggles, and then we kind of ignore the month where it's red hot, but it evens out to a good spot. But you're right, when you can't... Um, when you can't convert on the power play, that that and you get chance after chance after chance, that can drive you nuts. Uh, this text comes in: winning the games that don't matter and losing when the games do matter. Yeah, that can be a little uh, okay. Frustrating. Fair enough. Fair enough. And just in other sports, the one that really stood out to me in football, and it's really, it's like either side of the line in football: either the O line being terrible and your quarterback's just running for his life every time, every time he drops back, or the defensive line being like tissue paper and you can't stop the run, right? Like both of those. Yes. If you have yeah. a bad line, like a truly awful line on either side of the ball, I think is a tough watch for a football fan. Yeah, and especially if it's like you're getting bullied in the big games too. Remember, of course, Patriots-Falcons, right? Second yeah. half of that game where the Falcons just couldn't get any pass rush on a, a Tom Brady that didn't move very much. It's even at the high levels, the most important game of the year. You made it to the big game mm -hmm. and you can't get any – Pass rush. Like, I'm not a Falcons fan, um, but I, I found that infuriating to say, somebody, somebody get near him. Uh, I got one from the soccer world. Yeah. Set piece defending. Sure. When you're getting bullied on every set piece, and this happened with the Whitecaps earlier this year, but I think there's always a moment where a free kick or a corner kick comes up, and it's not necessarily a, a lack of want. It's just that you're not willing to – it's kind of like the penalty kill. We're like – Somebody, yeah, somebody just attacked the ball. Well, because also it's it's a it's a good point too. Because the thing with the penalty kill is okay, you you need it's a skill, obviously, but it's not as if you need elite players, right? You don't need a top ten center to be a good penalty kill. You know what I mean? You get you what you need is guys who can execute, guys who can read a play, and guys who work hard. And it's a similar thing in in soccer with defending set pieces. You don't need. You know, you don't need Leo Messi to be good at defending set pieces, no. right? You just need guys who are willing to put in the effort, you know, have a little bit of athleticism and, and know what they're doing and, uh, and can execute what the coach has asked them to do. And so that's the frustrating thing where it doesn't feel like it's a talent gap, but it's just a, uh, this should, everyone should be able to be at least fine at this. Why can't this team do it? Right. Yeah. There's like less talented teams that are able to that defend are fine. That are yeah. fine. Yeah. But there's always like, you know, one or two teams and the Whitecaps were a classic example we had Vanny Sartini on these airwaves one one of the weeks I was working. Um, and he's like, yeah, hey, if we had the answer to figure this out, it, it's becoming very frustrating. We don't great. have the answer. Yeah, like, I don't have the answer right now. We've gotten a little bit better at it, for sure. Uh, this text comes in. We're talking about most frustrating flaws uh, to watch your favorite team have. It says, uh, unable to gain the zone on the power play. The, the, drop, the pass. drop pass. Yeah. Oh, the drop pass. The dreaded drop pass. The text in. And the, I've actually seen that complaint. That complaint exists in, like, every NHL market with a rabid fan base. Like, I've seen people – where was it? It was a recent – I think it was Washington, maybe. People were like, oh, are they going to get rid of the drop pass? It drives everyone nuts, even though it pretty much works most of the time. Not Maybe not most of the time, but a lot of the time it works. There's a reason that uh, pretty much every team in the NHL does it. Uh, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If uh, if you have more thoughts on that, most frustrating flaws that a team can have, hit us up uh, in the Dunbar Lumber text line. I, I agree with the wait until you're out of the playoffs and then start playing your stars sixty yeah. minutes a night. Like uh, that's uh, <laughs> then going a hot winning streak. Oh, it's so annoying, and it happens every single year. Yeah, it's not great. It's not not ideal. Not the way you would draw up 
a season. Uh, on the football field, you heard Seahawks beating the Vikings 24-13 in their first preseason game. Not a lot to say about this. It's the uh, week one of NFL preseason, so I'm not going to dive too much into that one. Well, you, it, you don't have any Jake Bobo takes? N- no. I mean, okay. great name. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Seems like he could be a fan favorite, but uh, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not Bick Nazar grinding Jake Bobo tape in my in my uh, spare time to to break it down. So you have a better social life is yes, what you're saying. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, however, in the CFL, speaking of football, we were talking about this last night or yesterday on the show. The Edmonton Elks have now lost 22 straight home games. And they did this one in style, taking a 22 to nothing lead against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Then the Blue Bombers... Starting quarterback, one of the best players in the league, leaves with an injury. So they're going up against the backup at home. And not only do they lose, it's not even a one-score game at the end. They lose 38-29. to Winnipeg covered. They covered the spread after being down 22-0. And last week, after the Elks got shut out for the second time by the BC Lions this year, we had Dave Campbell, who's the, uh, the Elks color commentator on, Izzy and I. And I asked him, is this rock bottom? And he said, well, it feels like it, but you never know with this team. And now that's my question here, too. Blowing a 22 to nothing lead at home to lose your 22nd straight game, extending the record you already hold for consecutive home losses. It feels like rock bottom, but it also feels like who knows when this is going to end for Edmonton. It feels like, wow, they had their moment of they're going to do this. They're actually going to do this. And Elks fans had kind of their, their heart ripped out, right? Where yep. you, you're given that hope. If it was just a 40 to nothing spanking, at least they would be like, yeah, this team stinks. We, we, we knew know. this was going to happen. Yeah, we saw it coming this way, whatever. They yeah. were given the hope. They were given the hope that they could actually do it. And not only did they cover, like, you You had, you know, the Bombers come back and they won. They, they, you know, they didn't even, it wasn't close. But Elks, the Elks actually made a lot of people money last night because nobody, if you actually bet on the Elks because they're due, that's on you. That's your fault. <laughs> that's like crusty betting on the, uh, the Washington Generals. Yes. They're due. <laughs> the comeback bet was the He's bet to make the last ball. night. Just take it. <laughs> I wonder where Phil Mickelson had his money. Oh, yeah. You know, Phil was watching the CFL last night. Yeah. No oh, doubt. yeah, absolutely. But it is something, though. I'm not going to lie. I talked about this yesterday. And yesterday, last night watching this game, it was a classic example. I was watching. To you see know, what happened. I was watching. Yeah. Out of market game. The Lions are not involved. Winnipeg versus Edmonton. And you either want to see greatness or you want to see a clown show. You want to see something historic. Right? You want to see something really yeah. notable. Like, as I said, we had the Elks color commentator on. We don't do that a lot, but we did it because there was a historic story developing there, right? It draws interest. In a way, it is actually almost a positive for the league, right? Because it is something to keep the league in the headlines. And look, it's not great for Elks fans. And no. Yes, you would rather, you know, your key franchises, like the ones on the prairies, be doing really and well. And their attendance is taking a big their hit. Their attendance is taking a huge hit. But I mean, I do think it's generating a ton of. Like a lot more people are talking about the Elks across Canada than we would be if they were, you know, three and seven or whatever, right? You know, if they were just kind of normally mediocre, normally bad, we wouldn't be paying attention. But a lot of people are paying attention to the league and the team because of this story. It's the classic. Okay, if you're you're kind of middle road or you're just below average, nobody's talking. 
lean into being good or lean into being really bad. And I got to say, the Elks have cornered off. the market on being bad. Uh, this guy says he he texted that he bet on the Elks, but he took the early payout. Smart. Got up 22 well nothing and said, I'm not, I am, I want no part of this. I, I'm, well played. I'm taking my money right now. You know what? You know what the smart play would have been? Cashing out. And, and then, then immediately putting it on the Bombers. Exactly. Double the money right now there. Now you're thinking like Phil Mickelson. My inner Phil. You got I that. am also a lefty, by You the got way. that Phil Mickelson mindset right there. Uh, 650, 650. Keep your Ask Us Anythings coming in. Uh, we will talk next to the athletic Sean McIndoe about his latest piece and some things going around, going on around the NHL. Uh, it is Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. Missing the Canucks? Subscribe to the Canucks Central podcast and get alerts for breaking news episodes. Daily shows return in September. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Randy Janda. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We're live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. It is an Ask Us Anything Friday, so uh, keep hitting us up with your Ask Us Anything questions, and you can send in your What We Learned submissions as well. But now joining us, he covers the NHL for The Athletic, and you can follow him on Twitter, if you don't already, for some reason, at DownGoesBrown. Uh, he is Sean McIndoe. Sean, thanks for doing this. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And I did want to start uh, by asking, I know you got to design yesterday's Pukdoku puzzle. I believe it was yesterday. It all runs together right now. But, uh, I mean, I do feel like just, you know, reading your work and following you on Twitter that Pukdoku was, like, designed in a lab for you specifically. So this must have been a big thrill for you to get to to step in and take part in it. It it, it was very, very exciting. I went with the uh, old-school Norris division uh, which was great, great for two reasons, because number one, it, it let me uh, sort of pay tribute to the, the generation that I grew up watching and, and some of those players. And more importantly, uh, it annoyed a whole bunch of young people uh, because they couldn't think of anybody who had ever had 200 penalty minutes in a season. They were very mad that that was too difficult. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, uh, the answer uh, is just anyone who played in the 80s. There, there's your 200 penalty minute guy. Absolutely everybody who played a season in the 1980s. So uh, that's the uh, spoiler for any of you kids out there that were confused by that one. And shout out to a uh, creator of Puckdoku as well, Taylor, who's a Sportsnet 650 listener. Uh, just, you know, did a great job of, of creating and giving us something to do in the summertime. I got to ask you though, Sean, what's the, uh, the lowest uniqueness story, score you've been able to, to generate this summer thus far? I, I have got single digits. Uh, okay. I did uh, that. That was my goal. I declared it. And look, I'm one of these people. I don't. I don't tell anyone how to play. You, you do it however you want to do it. But I'm. I'm a strict uh, no research guy. Uh, you got to live and die with your guesses. You. You. You put the name in there. There's no going on uh, hockey reference or hockey DB or anything like that. And double checking and just making sure. Uh, I see some people out there who get the uh, the straight zero across the board. 
that's cool too if you want to do it that way. There's no way they're doing that off the top of their head. No, I no. feel pretty confident saying no. that. But uh, it's uh, yeah, you you gotta uh, you gotta aim as low as possible is uh, is the way that I I approach it. And I did get into the single digits one day. I was pretty proud of that one. Okay, I'm jealous. I got ten. Like that, I, and I thought I was doing amazing single digits. Very, very nice. Very impressive, Sean. As I said, You're right the, there, man. The, You're right on the cut. <laughs> uh, you know, little, little extra research, and uh, you know, getting uh, hit in the library, and you'll, you'll be all there. All right, all right. I'm going to work towards that. You're like a, a golfer trying to break 80 for the first time. Exactly. You're so you're so close to doing it. Um, you had a great piece up at The Athletic yesterday, Sean. Five truths all NHL fan bases need to hear this offseason. And, uh, you know, we wanted to bring you on to, just to, to confirm that this wasn't specifically directed at Canucks fans. No, it wasn't. And, you know, that's the amazing thing, how many people have uh, responded to that by uh, you know, saying that they uh, – uh, they, they were pretty sure they knew which fan base I was actually talking about. And, and no, that's not the whole point of the thing is this is for every fan base. I feel very safe generalizing across the board because this stuff that uh, just about everybody is, uh, is guilty of in, in some form or another, some more than others. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, that, that is potentially true. But, uh, no, I, I, I was uh, cast in a pretty wide net on this one. All right. I, I got to say, though, it feels like, you know, Vancouver versus like a Carolina, right? When it comes to, <laughs> uh, to the degrees of the, th- the conspiracy theorists, I feel like Vancouver skews the, the higher number just based on the fact that um, part of this is probably going back to 2011 for a lot of Canucks fans, right? A very unique team had a certain character that maybe wasn't well liked across the league. But you're telling me, you're telling me other markets feel strongly about their guys and feel like at times that the uh, there's a, a bit of a conspiracy against them, even like refs or player safety. Is that, is that common across the league? There, there is, uh, that is absolutely common across the league. There is everybody out there feels like somehow this league is out to get them. And it's, you know, very often it's, it's, it might be the referees in general. It might be a specific referee that they might point to and say well you know our record when this guy officiates is 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 not a very good record clearly he's out to get us uh it it may be the department of player safety it could be gary bettman himself uh and uh, you know, people are are very convinced that somewhere along the line the league is is putting a thumb on the scale either against their team or in some cases, at the very least, they need you to acknowledge that, that, that obviously this league is in favor of some teams. It has some of its mm. favorite teams. And if you're playing against that team, you've got no chance. Because clearly uh, what happens is during the uh, intermission, Gary Bettman gets on the phone and calls up the referees and says, hey, look, uh, we got to make sure that my favorite team wins tonight, so I need you to like let uh, a borderline hooking call go uh, late in the third period, and then uh, that that fan base will see that, latch onto it, and that'll become the uh, the proof of the conspiracy. Uh, it's pretty much universal across the board. Everybody feels that way, and everybody's wrong. Like I say in the piece, there are no conspiracies. The league is not doing that, and the reason I say that is not because I think that they're wonderful, great people with. Uh, unreproachable morals it's that I look at these guys and I go do do we really think anyone in leadership in the NHL is capable of pulling off a conspiracy (laughs) 
do we really think that these guys these guys had to cancel an outdoor game because it was sunny during the day and it just hadn't occurred to him to them that that could happen you're telling me they're pulling off shadowy conspiracies in the darkness i i don't think it i yeah. don't think it's happening and i mean and keeping it secret at that and my my favorite example of and it's not the about the league being out to get a certain team but as you said you know putting the thumb on the scale for a team is the idea that edmonton only won all those draft lotteries with you know nhl interference because of course if gary bettman could choose any team to draft yeah. Connor mcdavid it would have been the edmonton oilers obviously just a huge i mean obviously giving him nail yakupov was just the test case right <laughs> that was just the proof of concept make sure they could get away with it and then they all sat around and said all right here's a once in a generation talent has the potential to generate hundreds of millions of dollars really redefine how the league is viewed what market should we put him in? And, and of course, all the hands shot up, and everyone said it's got to be Edmonton. And so they, they definitely made it happen. That that absolutely did happen, and it's a very good thinking by everyone who's figured it out. Okay, one of the, the additions you had on this list is one of my favorite, because in any sport especially, we'll hear about, oh, yeah, you go to Seattle, they have the loudest fans in the league in the NFL. You go to Vegas, it's the loudest arena in the NHL. Minnesota, XL Energy Center back in the day. loud. Is that a thing? <laughs> According to your list, it's not a thing. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, look, it, it's a thing in the sense that there certainly are some arenas that, that get very loud. Uh, there are, are some, and, I, and I, I guess if you were going to figure out a way to rank them somehow, there, there would have to be one that was actually the loudest in the league. But the, the reality is I would say there's roughly 20 to 25 markets that are utterly convinced that they are the loudest in the NHL. And the reason they're convinced of that is because they saw somebody say it once, you know, somebody, some some national writer made reference to it, or Hockey Night Canada, you know, they held up the little decibel meter that one time. Uh, you know, somebody asked a visiting team player or coach, like, hey, fans are loud here. And the, the person was like, yeah, yeah, sure, they're loud. And they just latched onto that. And, um, and the reality is, in most cases, it's like, yeah, you're, sometimes you're loud, sometimes you're not. And, yeah, you're loud in the playoffs. That's usually when it comes up, right? It's the first round, especially if it's a non-traditional market or a market that maybe isn't really associated with being all that loud or, or, or being a great hockey market. And then it's game one of the playoffs. And it's, oh, man, it's so loud in here. And you're sitting there at home going, yeah, you're supposed to be loud. It's, it's the playoffs. You're, you're supposed to be cheering. And, uh, yeah, yeah, your team won in overtime. Yeah, the, the building got really loud. We, we expect that. Uh, and then when your team loses, the building is not so loud. That's kind of how it is in just about everywhere. So, uh, look, man, I'm, I love a loud building. Uh, I, uh, you know, I love seeing that. But uh, it, let's, let's maybe, maybe dial it down just a little bit on the whole loudest fans in the league or the most loyal fans is another one where the best fans out there just because that one-star player retired and said you were the best fans, like he he was being nice. He didn't. He wasn't necessarily uh, meaning that quite literally. So uh, you know, maybe just maybe just ease up just a little bit on it, the whole. We're the best fans in the whole world. It is. Uh, it, it's an interesting kind of pressure point for fans because the, the one time I can remember uh, a current player, at least, or at least the most recent time, saying that fans weren't necessarily that loud was Bo Horvat when he went to the Islanders talking about Canucks fans and let me tell you that was not particularly well received out here I'll tell so you that something, for free. yeah I'll tell you that for free there's something about there's something about the uh, the noise level of a fan base that uh, that fans are very very invested in yeah and it and it made headlines everywhere because we were so shocked yeah. that he didn't do the thing that everybody else does right like some dude gets traded away from Columbus and like has to take out the ad in the newspaper says like oh I'm going to miss the best fans 
talent in the whole league. And, you know, it's, it's fine. It's, you know, people are being nice. This is, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, but, uh, you know, the people who take that and go, wow, I get, we really are the best. And then they show up on Twitter and they get in an argument with like some Carolina fan who's like, no, no, we're the loudest. Uh, somebody said that about us in 2006 and, uh, on and on you go around and around. Uh, one of the other items on the list was basically that uh, every fan base is constantly overrating their prospects and young players. And you know, if you ever um, if you're ever hard up for something to do and looking to kill some time, and find uh, your team's message board and go back to posts like five years ago and look at the lineups that people were projecting that have like eight or ten prospects, and they're like, "Hey, in five years, all these guys are going to be in our lineup." And look at where those players are now, and they are not in an NHL lineup shot. They are not. And and look, this is. This is across the board in the NHL. I, I'm sure it's across the board probably in all sports. There's, there's even a term for it. It's prospect brain, uh, which is a condition that, uh, <laughs> that you see very often uh, infecting sports fans. And it's a very simple thing. What happens is your, your team has these prospects. It's the guys they drafted this year. It's the guys down the AHL. Guys are still in junior. They're in Europe, wherever it is. And if you're, if you're a fan, you're probably reading up on them. You're, you're digesting the, the comparables and, and all of that stuff. And what you end up happening is is you, you start forming a model in your mind of like who these guys are going to be, but the, the mistake you make is you start thinking about the ceiling for each guy. What's the best player that this guy could end up being? And then at some point in your mind, that kind of twists over to this is just what they will be. Like if all of our prospects hit, if every one of our prospects reaches their ceiling – we're all set, man. We're going to have a great team in a few years. And, of course, it doesn't end up being that way because that's not how prospects work. Some of them hit the ceiling. Some of them don't. Some of them end up being busts. And you're right. I mean, anything looking ahead, uh, trying to project a roster three or five years down the line, uh, and a lot of times fans get very upset. If you say, you know, the future isn't bright in Team X, uh, they get very mad because they say, well, you obviously don't know that we've got this guy and this guy and this guy. And it's like, yeah, you, you do have those guys. But the chances that all of them will turn into superstars is is quite low. And the projected lineups are very funny. My my personal favorite is if you can go back and find any trade rumors from like five years ago where some star player was on the trade block and if your team was associated with them and go and find the rumors of the prospects that you would have been giving up and the fans who were just furious. <laughs> we abs- Are you kidding you want us to give up Joe Smith, our our top prospect, for this guy, and they should have to give us more the, just to get him. And of course, now Joe Smith is like a forty point AHL guy because that's that's just how it works. But uh, boy, the the prospects when it comes to trade talk, oh, I mean, it's you you would think you are asking for bars of solid goal out of these teams because uh, those they they do not want to part with anybody up until a few years later where they realize the guy's a bum and then they can't wait to get rid of him. Oh, we've never done that in Vancouver here. Of course we haven't. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you one thing, uh, 675 comments on your story, so it clearly struck a nerve with a lot of fans, um, and, and it's been a, a fun conversation. Uh, I did want to hit you on another uh, piece that you wrote recently, the best contracts in the NHL, Cap Court. Uh, you have Quinn Hughes and his contract as one of the best in the NHL. What makes it uh, that type of contract to you? Yeah, so, I mean, this is something where cap court is a, a gimmick I pull out, and usually the idea is, is this a bad contract? We're going to put the contract on trial. And I figured I'd, I'd go positive and flip it around, and I said, all right, is this a great contract? Not just merely a good one or a good value for the team, 
But from the team's perspective, is this a great contract? And, and uh, uh, you know, Queen Hughes was a bit of a tough call, a bit of a borderline one, but I, I ended up putting it in the great column. And, and it's just a case where I feel like this is, uh, you know, an excellent young player, still young enough that there is some upside as a blue liner uh, where you – um, you know, you, you can expect just some sort of natural development and improvement uh, already. When you look at that cap number, just about right for uh, for an elite player, uh, for a guy who's potentially going to get better, should be able to uh, main, at least maintain his current level for years and years to come. Not one of these guys who's already peaked and, and you're, you're giving them the big contract on the way down. We know the cap is going to be going up. We know that the, the percentage hits and all of that are, are, are going to get better as time goes on. I just really like that idea, uh, that deal from a Vancouver perspective. I'm sure they would love it to be even more years than it is now, and that was kind of the, the one spot where I sort of wavered a little bit and wondered, you know, geez, even a few years from now, are they going to end up having to pay big time and wish they had, uh, they had locked it in even longer than they did? But for now and for the next few years, I think you got great value there at uh, one of the most important positions. Well, and the the other the, the other big contract situation with the Canucks, and it's kind of similar to what you're saying, could happen with Quinn Hughes. It's happening right now with Elias Pettersson, where they signed him to a, a bridge deal coming out of his entry level contract, and now they're in a position where they're going to have to pay a lot. Even in those circumstances, though, Pettersson is such a good player. Like, do the Canucks have a chance to? Let's say you're doing cap court the same exercise in a couple of years. Is there a chance that the Pedersen contract could still end up being a great deal for the Canucks, given how talented he is? I, I mean, it, it certainly could. Uh, he's, he's a great player, and it's uh, you know th- this is one of these things where even even these days you look at the way that the teams allocate money, and and very typically you get value on the elite players, even if you give them you know the the top of the market contract, uh, you still get good value out of that. It, it's it's rare that you look at a deal like that as a huge mistake. It's much more often the depth guys. I mean, you guys in Vancouver, you know very well it's the it's the three and four million dollar guys on the third and fourth line that could be replaced by uh, uh, replacement level players that uh, that really crush your cap situation. Um, yeah, I think Pedersen could absolutely be one of those guys. I, I will tell you, I am constantly surprised at some of these long-term deals that are getting signed by young guys. And in a lot of cases, it's the second contract, which doesn't doesn't apply with Pedersen. But um, you know, I'm I'm constantly surprised at these eight-year deals that come in, and you see the number, and you go, man, that's that is pretty reasonable. Mm. We keep waiting for people to reset the market. We keep waiting for somebody to, to, to sort of change the entire dynamic, and it just doesn't seem to happen to anybody except the Maple Leafs. That's, you know, my team, the Maple Leafs, is the only team where these players apparently really want to make sure that they, uh, they get the maximum dollars, and uh, you know, we've seen how that works out. Yeah. But everywhere else, it, it seems like you know, people are happy to, to, to take uh, eight years, get a good high number. Certainly none of these guys are are eating craft dinner for uh, for for three meals a day, but uh, it all it always feels like guys leave a lot of money on the table, and and that works out great for the team. Could absolutely see it happening in Vancouver. Um, we'll just wait and see how it plays out. Well, you know what? I think a lot of fans uh, out here, Sean, would say, "Good on Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews for getting theirs." Right? Good on them yeah. for knowing their worth. Yeah, you'll you'll love it right up until Matthew signs before Patterson. Yeah. That actually does reset the market. <laughs> Sean, appreciate the time as always. Great piece up at the Athletic right now. The five truths all NHL fan bases need to hear this offseason. Thanks for chatting with us. Right on. Thank you for having me. That is Sean McIndoe. Again, you can read him at the Athletic and follow him on Twitter at Down Goes Brown. Uh, yeah, there's nothing better than going back like to uh, you know 2014 or something and seeing who 
Canucks fans were projecting to be the second line center and, you know, oh, this guy's going to be key for us five years down the road. And that's not unique to Canucks fans. No, no, no. That is like, literally every NHL We team. were having that conversation about Jonathan Dolan. Yeah. He's going to be Elias Pettersson's Nikolai, winger. Nikolai Goldobin. Oh, Goldie. Forgot about Goldie watch. How could you? Uh, hey, the biggest example, literally, in Vancouver history, Nikita Triamkin. Nikita Triamkin, yeah. And at least, I mean, he actually played in the NHL. So I, same with same with Goldobin, right? But the, the guys who are, like, fifth-round picks and, are, and never get out of oh, the yeah. AHL, you know, but you're still projecting to be, like, key players down the road. Those are the ones that always... That always crack me up. Uh, it is an Ask Us Anything Friday here. This one came in early. Shout out to Alistair, the graveyard bakery worker, as discussed earlier on the show. Uh, if Vancouver got an MLB or NFL team, would you abandon your favorite team to become a diehard fan of the Vancouver team? So one part of this, the NFL team part, is really easy for me. I guess I would call myself a Seahawks fan, but I'm like an extraordinarily casual Seahawks fan. I'm the world's most casual Seahawks fan. I don't okay. truly care. Like I'll root for them, whatever. It's so fun. like most Vancouverites, <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. But I don't. It doesn't like. It's not keeping me up at night. I'm yeah, not, you know, like getting prepped for the preseason or like, ah, it's whatever. They're good. They're good. That's fun. If they're bad, who cares? See, I I like that you acknowledge that because yeah. I would say 95 percent of Vancouver is that way. When they start losing, you abandon ship. That's yeah. okay. And That's- I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not making any pretenses about it. Like it is not. It's not a significant fandom for me. So okay. if they got an NFL, if Vancouver got an NFL team, that'd be easy. No question. Okay, that's my team now. 100. percent Same with an NBA team, right? I never. I never jumped ship to another team after the Grizzlies left. I love the NBA, but I don't, I don't have a favorite team. So if Vancouver got a team back, that would be an easy one. The tough one for me is baseball because I've been a Jays fan since before I can remember. That's a lifelong thing. And especially now, you know, obviously I grew up a Canucks fan. Now being in the media, it's a much different relationship. The Jays are my number, the team I'm like the biggest fan of, right? So sure. for a major league baseball team to come to Vancouver, I would want to support it. I think it would be very, very difficult for me to just throw out being a Jays fan and forget that I'm a Jays fan. Yeah, we all have a hierarchy of, you know, the teams that we follow. They're not all equal to us. No. And what you kind of outlined there is a classic example of that. But I'm kind of with you in that, right? The reason that you follow a team, why you've been following them, when it comes to... This is a great question, by the way. An awesome hypothetical. Mm -hmm. The NBA, I'm kind of with you, but I do have a team. I'm, I'm a Knicks fan, but the reason... I gravitated towards another team was after the Grizzlies left. Yeah. I was looking for another team for like five or six years. It never happened. Went to MSG. Loved the experience. It was a god-awful team at that point. They're still not that much better, but they're a playoff team now. But if a, if a team came to Vancouver, I would probably lean Vancouver just because that's where it started, right? The Grizzlies. Baseball, though. Like the Yankees are one of the biggest, the teams that I, I'm attached to going back a number of years. So that one, I'm with you. I probably would not be able to do that and switch to a Vancouver team. NFL, out of, what, the five or six teams I follow, I like the Dolphins, don't get me wrong. But You're if, saying good riddance. If I had to ditch one team that I follow, I'm not Dan Reacher. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. That's the one that's the lowest on the pecking order. Yeah, I mean, I get that. There hasn't been a lot of bright spots. Part of it is also attachment, though, right? Like, yeah. there's certain, like, Arsenal is my number one team of the teams I follow, and I don't work, you know, covering. That's the one, that's number one on my list. And then yeah. I got the Yankees. 
the Dolphins are a little further down the list. Well, and the thing is, yeah, the reason I'm a Jays fan, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. Like, one, my parents were huge Blue Jays fans, right? So, obviously, you know, you pass it along to your kids. And I'm, I'm indoctrinating my daughter now to be a Blue Jays fan. That's just how it goes. So, okay. there's, like, a familial thing there that you don't want to give up. And then, of course, I mean, they win the World Series when I'm six and seven. So, that that helps an awful lot, too, to cement your friendship. Wait, or wait, your wait. Fanship, wait. When you say indoctrinate, like, are you just, like, making sure she memorizes, like, Carlos Delgado season? Uh, no, like, she's yet? got like, a Boba Shet shirt. Okay. Okay, okay. And you know she uh, she knows like Bo and Vladdy and George Springer and, and have you taught her the the who Dave Steve is yet or not, no, not yet? No, okay. no, 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 that's still in the curriculum. We're gonna, we'll 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 get to that at some point. I'll break out the uh, I'll make her watch like Game Six of the '93 World Series. Come here, walk her through. Come it. here, let me let me uh, put on an old Dave. Just roll Stewart a TV game. in your room, put it on while she's sleeping, so like yeah. subliminal messaging throughout the night. <laughs> this is Tony Fernandez. <laughs> Love Tony Fernandez. Let me show you the hair of one Juan Guzman. Devon White. His jerry curl. The way he caught it close to his body. Oh, fantastic. Can't beat that. Can't beat that. Sweet swing of John Olroot. Yeah. True. All these guys. At what, at what point do you bring up the bus, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, let me tell you about these, the Vernon Wells Alex contract. Rios. Yeah. <laughs> Alex Gonzalez. They had a chance to trade Alex Rios for Tim Lincecum, and it didn't happen, and that was tough. That was tough for me, let me tell you. You got to wait till the teen years. Yeah. For that conversation. Uh, 650-650, as I said, it is an Ask Us Anything Friday. Lots of good ones in the inbox, but we've always got room for more, so you can text in to 650-650. Uh, and we got an open segment up next, so we'll run through them and uh, run through some of them and maybe talk a little bit about some NHL UFAs who are still out there. Could any of them be training camp invite PTO targets for the Canucks? It is Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650.